Welcome back to the QAV podcast. Uh, My name is Cameron Riley. If you're listening to this for the first time, this is a show where I talk with my mate Tony Kynaston about how to think like a millionaire. Tony's a very successful investor in Sydney. G'day, Kino. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I just thought at the beginning of the shows now we should do a bit of an intro so you know uh, uh, people know what's going on if this is their first time listening. We, we're going to talk about Tony's uh, investment methodology, how he thinks about things, tap into his brain. Uh, but one thing you should know, we say this on every show, you should not take anything you hear on this podcast as financial advice. We're not financial advisors. Tony's uh, very, very knowledgeable, very, very good at what he does. He's teaching me. I'm a complete idiot. Uh, He's teaching me what he does. You get to listen, but this isn't financial advice. If you want financial advice, go see a financial advisor. But this is is more about financial literacy, education, learning how to think like Tony thinks uh, about uh, investing. Uh, um, not about breeding racehorses, because apparently you still suck at that, Tony. I do, yeah. <laughs> but we have lots of fun. We went to Adelaide on the weekend to watch our horse race in the Australasian Oaks, and the horse is called See What She Brings, and I think she ran 14th. Um, we were She was the rank outsider in terms of betting, but we thought she might do well, but didn't happen. So back right. to the drawing board for her. Yeah. She'll, win some, she'll win some good races, but uh, not this time. Well, and let's talk about picking stocks uh, instead of picking horses. Now, <laughs> a few weeks on the podcast. So what we do if you're brand new is we, we talk a little bit about financial news in the markets and then we get down and dirty and we take a company pretty much at random off the Australian Stock Exchange and we break down its financials. Tony teaches me what to look at, how to understand its financials. And we, we, we put it through Tony's uh, checklist that he's developed over the years, and we decide whether or not we think it's a good, solid bet as an investment. Um, not that you should follow what we do, but just uh, to teach you how Tony thinks about it. And uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at a company called Apollo Tourism and Leisure. They manufacture, sell, and rent out recreational vehicles, RVs, camper vans, that kind of thing, uh, based here in Brisbane, I think. And we, we talked about how they were, they, they, they were coming up. The, I think you'd said you'd owned them, then you sold them, and then you'd bought back in. And we... we sort of said they're a bit of a watching brief. They were kind of borderline, but I think they just got over the checklist. Turns out in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, they've had some new news and it has not been good for their share price. No, that's right. So uh, they they did a profit downgrade last week. And to put it in context, uh, it's what is known as confession season at the moment. So I guess I was a bit brave in talking about this stock uh, going into confession season because it's often when things can come out of the woodwork and surprise you, particularly on the downside. So it's it has happened before to me that this uh, kind of thing has happened. Uh, we're about, um, what, three months out from the end of the financial year, so it's around the time when CEOs and boards are starting to get a feel for whether they're going to achieve their declared targets for the year. And uh, it, because the ASX has rules on full disclosure, if they're not going to meet their targets materially, then they have to come out and make an announcement to that uh, effect. 
And that happened with Apollo last Thursday, I think it was. So today's the 6th of May. So towards the end of April, start of May, they came out and said they wouldn't meet their four-year guidance. And specifically, in reading their, their announcement, what is dragging them down is the sale of the of new recreational vehicles. And they're not the first seller of vehicles to come out and say that. Most of the... Well, there's two listed uh, car dealerships on the ASX. They both come out and said that they are down this year compared to last year and prior years. And just also recently, there's a motorcycle dealership which has come out and said the same thing. So a lot of... A lot of companies in the uh, game of selling new vehicles are all having a downturn at the moment. Some economists and some market watchers say that could point to a recession. It's, it's oftentimes the bellwether or the canary in the coal mine for a downturn in the economy. But, you know, we'll see about that in time. But, but it's, a, it's a, a general trend that's come out in the last few weeks that uh, vehicle sellers are not doing it good at the moment. And people are pointing to, you know, downturns in property prices that uh, people who own houses uh, are not feeling as well-to-do as they have in the past when property prices are rising and so they're slow to, to replace their vehicles. And you know, vehicles are, are reasonably a discretionary spend. If, if things aren't looking good for me financially, I might replace my car next year rather than this year. But if I'm feeling fairly bullish because my house is going up in value or my shares are going up in value or whatever, then I might uh, bring that purchase forward and, and change my car over sooner. Uh, so that's the kind of context for that. Um, I think uh, just in general in terms of the QAV checklist, the checklist came out uh, good when we did it last time and now we've had a downgrade. The checklist probably won't be as good and what, what I normally do in these situations is to sell the stock because the sentiment is going against it and then to wait for the next sort of financial results to come out and make a new assessment at that time. Right. If I look at the three-point trend uh, that we, we often talk about when we're doing the checklist, if I look at their graph and look at the three-point trend, their prices well and truly drop uh, below the, the, the three points of the lowest, right? Yeah, and, and I think when we did the checklist originally, we said it was there was a bit of a hockey stick forming. It, the sentiment overall was going down, but it had just ticked up in the last uh, little time, the last period that we looked at. But that's uh, it, that's turned against us now with this downgrade, so it didn't keep going, unfortunately. Now, and look, it's it's unfortunate too that we've used this as one of our first analysis to you know get a good score on the QAV checklist, one of the first. But to put that into context, if you have a portfolio, it should should hold. At, you know, 10 to 15 stocks at least. And this one's dropped, you know, 30 or 40% in the last week. But that would work out as about, you know, a 3 or 4% impact on the overall portfolio. So it's, it's good to keep things in context um, with this example as well. One of the things we talked about, I think, in our last episode, when we were already a little bit cautious about Apollo, we I think in our last episode we were saying that it was the share price had dropped a little bit and so we were you were going to be watching it uh, pretty mm. closely is whether or not you say, okay, well, uh, this is just a, a, a blip, a glitch, and we're going to hold for the long term. I remember when we had Steve Sammartino on, he was saying he just does averaging, dollar cost averaging over time, whether the market's up or the market's down. That's not what you would do in this situation. You, I think you told us this last time, you would actually 
sell if it's in decline rather than just hold and say, listen, it'll it'll come back and I'm in it for the long haul? Yeah, that's right. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because the, the, the long term can take a while for it to come back to the level that we sold it at. And generally, you, you can use the you can deploy the, the money in a better situation while you're waiting. So you still might come back into Apollo Tourism Leisure, but uh, it'll be when the sentiment's turned up and we've got some more results to analyse. It just strikes me while I'm editing this that this is probably one of the reasons why Tony's portfolio outperforms Steve Sammartino's portfolio. If you don't know what I'm talking about with Steve Sammartino, he's another mate of mine who's a very successful investor that we had on the show as a guest back around episode, I don't know, five or six or something like that. Um, his methodology is very different to Tony's. He just buys index funds, and he's been doing that for decades with very good results. But Steve talks about his objective is to achieve about a 10% on average per annum return on his portfolio, whereas Tony's objective, if you've listened to our first couple of episodes, is to achieve a 19.5% average annual return. So almost twice what Steve's going for. Now, Steve's method is very hands-off. He just buys an index fund, and you can listen to the interview and if you don't know what that is, and he'll explain it in more detail. It's very hands-off. He just buys it month in, month out, doesn't think about it. Buys it, holds it pretty much forever. Um, good times, bad times. Um, feels like I should break into a song there, but uh, he, he's very hands-off with it because he, he didn't want to think about it too hard. Tony is more hands-on and, and in doing so is able to achieve higher results. And in, in that intervening period, you know, hopefully we'll find something else to put that money to work in and be in a better position to, to reinvest in ATL if and when it gets, uh, gets an upturn. The other thing that uh, I've found too is that but oftentimes the first downgrade is not the last downgrade. So they've had a downgrade now. It's, it's before their results are out. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they have some other kind of downgrade in those results. But I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't forecast it. And we did mention too when we're doing the, the QAV checklist for ATL that you've got to be careful not to try and catch a falling knife. And that's the situation we're in at the moment. So I don't know how far the share price will go down. So I'd rather wait for it to start coming back up before we decide to uh, look at it again as an investment. Well, we did reach out to the directors of Apollo after that last podcast and invite them to come on and have a chat. Uh, they may not be feeling inclined to do so uh, at the moment, but maybe they will. If they're listening to this, we invite them to come on and, and chat about uh, their business a little bit more. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it would be good. Um, it'd be good for them to clarify how things are going, why they issued the downgrade, how long they think it'll it'll take before things turn around. And also, you know, if they want to debate my analysis or our analysis of it too, that'd be fine as well. Hmm. hmm. So... Uh, what else in terms of news did you want to talk about this week, Tony, before we get into our uh, stock analysis? Well, the first thing is we had spoken about Myra, I think, in the last episode, so we need to keep our eye on that uh, just to, to look at sentiment and to watch for any news coming out of Myra given it is confession season. I think the shares are down slightly from when we looked at them last time, but not enough to, to be of concern at this stage. But, uh, yeah, let's let's keep an eye on them. Uh Two, two big things have happened in the market in the last week as far as I'm concerned. The first one was Berkshire Hathaway's AGM 
as it's often called, Woodstock for Capitalists in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, uh, if this is your first episode and you haven't heard our earlier episodes and you've never heard of Berkshire Hathaway or Warren Buffett, go check out episode one and two of our QAV series where we talk about them in some detail. Essentially, Warren Buffett, uh, one of the wealthiest people in the United States, very successful investor. He and his partner, Charlie Munger, have been building their investment company, Berkshire Hathaway, since, I don't know, I think the the 50s or the 60s. I can't remember exactly. They're they're worth many, 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 many tens, hundreds of billions. Um, and, And Tony's approach to investment has been inspired to a large degree by the sorts of practices that Warren Buffett uh, teaches. <laughs> I um, I was very fortunate enough to go along, I think about three years ago when it was their 50th anniversary AGM. And it is just a fantastic day, amazing day. It's, it's a real three-ring circus. Doors open, there's a mad scramble to get into the stadium. I think the stadium holds about thirty to 40,000 people. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska is not a big town, the, but the stadium there I think is for their, their college basketball side. But yeah, so it holds thirty to 40,000 people. It's full within about 10 minutes. And then they have, um, if you don't make it into the stadium, they have an overflow, or have, they have overflow rooms in all the, the hotels in town where you can watch a live feed. So luckily enough, I made it in. You sort of mark your seat and you, you know, put a program or whatever on the seat. But then you go back outside into the hall, the vendor hall, where uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and other people on the board are wandering around. They're doing holding contests like th- tossing newspapers onto a, the front stoop of one of their uh, kit homes that, that, that one of the companies in Berkshire Hathaway stable owns. Um, and so, you know, Warren Buffett takes on all comers because he used to be a paper boy when he was a kid, rolls up <laughs> newspapers and throws them on the porch and you got to try and get closer to the front door than, than him. <laughs> uh, he takes on people at, at bridge and ping pong and all sorts of things. So it's a really entertaining morning. Then you go into the hall. The first thing they do is show you this movie which they've, had made for them because I think they own they own ABC and I think it owns one of the big studios like Paramount or someone like that. And so he gets all the top directors and actors to, to produce this film for him. And the one I saw, and, and it's not broadcast anywhere else, it's, it's shown for 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the Berkshire Hathaway AGM and then they burn the print basically. <laughs> and uh, this the one that I saw starred Jamie Lee Curtis who was – he was trying to convince Warren Buffett he should start investing in tech stocks. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the running gag was that she couldn't convince him. But in the end, you see Charlie Munger lying in bed with a big smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jamie Lee's on the phone to Warren. She's got the sheet pulled up across her, her <laughs> naked chest saying, Warren, I've convinced Charlie. <laughs> now it's over to you. <laughs> and, and for people who are listening for the first time, we've talked about this before, but Charlie Munger is how old? 95. <laughs> and Buffett's uh, not much younger 80, than him, right? Yeah, 87. Late think, 80s. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so very funny show. And then they, have, they had scenes with him, uh, with Warren Buffett going toe-to-toe with, uh, what's his name, uh, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather, the boxer. Yeah. Yeah, because that was a big fight that was going on in Vegas at the time. So very, very funny uh, show. And then it goes straight into the... Uh, AGM and like the business part of the AGM takes five minutes when they, you know, say 
can we approve the minutes from last year and can we, you know, approve the remuneration for directors and blah, blah, blah. That's all over and done with. And then there's like five or six hours of questioning. And if you want to ask a question, you line up behind one of the six or seven mics in the auditorium and you get a chance. And the questions, you know, range from the, from the very simple, like how do I get a job with Berkshire Hathaway to, you know, what's your insights on China and through to people who want to protest and, you know, does Berkshire Hathaway think it's killing Americans by owning Coca-Cola, which is forcing sugar down the throats of consumers and things like that. So it's, it's very eclectic and, uh, you know, Buffett and Munger are very good at answering the questions and, and very thoughtful and insightful. It's a great, uh, great day to, to be there. Did you ask a question? I didn't, no, no. So I have two questions for you. Number one, what did you do to get there? What, what, what's the cost of entry? You've got to buy uh, a share in Berkshire Hathaway. and So that's very expensive uh, because their shares have never been split. So I forget what they are. In Australian dollars now, they must be around $300,000 per share. I'm just on uh, the US markets. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway share is currently trading on the New York Stock Exchange for... $327,765.62.5 US. And in the last day, it went up by 1.1%. So $3,500 is (laughs) the price fluctuated in a day. So if you bought it one day and sold it the next day, you pocketed $3,500 in uh, profit. Mm. That's yep. not a it's not a bad day's work. Um, so three hundred twenty-seven thousand US. Uh, I don't know what the Aussie dollar is at the moment. It's still around seventy. 70. Cents. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's getting up around four hundred thousand Aussie. Yeah. Four hundred thousand Aussie for a share. Um, mm. So my second question was: Did you throw your panties on the stage when you were there? <laughs> no. Okay. Because I know uh, Warren Buffett's a little bit of a rock star for old white rich guys like you. <laughs> He's basically your he your your John Lennon, right? Mm. Well, John Lennon's my John Lennon, but yeah, no, he is. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, just a great day. And getting back to this year's AGM, a uh, couple of things that they've had some problems with their big shareholding in Kraft Heinz. I think we spoke about it in one of the early episodes that uh, Kraft Heinz's valuation went down about thirty percent this year. Uh, took a big write down on its brand values, um, and just to explain that companies can uh, take a take some goodwill on their balance sheet, which equates to the benefits of owning their brands like Kraft and Heinz beans and Kraft ketchup and things like that. They've had to write those down because they haven't been as profitable in the last uh, little while. Uh, I think from memory, Berkshire Hathaway owns about 30%, I think, of Kraft Heinz. And so they, they've taken a hit. So the share price has actually lagged the Dow Jones um, this year by about 7%. And that's partly because of Kraft Heinz, but also partly because Berkshire Hathaway is sitting on a huge pile of cash, well over $100 billion in cash. And Buffett's always bemoaning the fact that he can't find places to put it. But last week he did find a place to put some of it anyway. I think he put $10 billion into a company called Occidental, which is looking to take over another oil company. Occidental is an oil company in the States looking to take over another oil company. 
and uh, Buffett did a deal where he lent them some money uh, which had a high interest rate of, I think, 8% and has the right to convert that into shares at, I think, today's price. And so that's possibly one of the reasons why the share price went up over the weekend, but it could also just be that people were enamoured with the AGM as well. I, I was uh, reading some news about uh, Buffett uh, last week, and I, I found a couple of quotes from him. I don't know how recent they are, but I thought they uh, mapped well to what you've been talking to us about on this show. Here's the quotes. Intelligent investing is not complex, though that is far from saying that it is easy. What an investor needs is the ability to correctly evaluate selected businesses. Note that word selected. You don't have to be an expert on every company or even many. You only have to be able to evaluate companies within your circle of competence. Oh, this apparently was a quote of his from 1996's uh, annual shareholder letter. Mm -hmm. The size of that circle is not very important. Knowing its boundaries, however, is vital. Buffett said that maybe 5% of the companies or 10% of the companies at most are within an area inside of his circle of competence. They are something I should be able to understand. Your goal as an investor should simply be to purchase at a rational price a part interest in an easily understandable business whose earnings are virtually certain to be materially higher 5, 10, and 20 years from now, he said. That sounds very familiar. It does, but it doesn't. I mean, ATL is a good example of why, of, you know, we don't follow that process and it turned around and bit us. But uh, certainly I have no circle of competence in recreational vehicles or their selling. My circle of competence, I think, is in using the, the checklist, is, is in using... Um, statistics to find good companies to investigate and potentially uh, buy into. And that's different to Buffett's. Buffett tends to stick to companies that he sees as having a moat. So that's uh, something which is a brand which is difficult for competitors to knock down. And I guess the best definition of a moat is that you can raise prices even though the economy may not be uh, rising. So it's the ability to raise prices regardless of whether the economy is going up or down. And that's because of the strength of the brand. So his circle of competence is in buying companies like Kraft Heinz. Um, they tried to take over, I think, Gillette uh, during the year, but got rebuffed quite heavily by Gillette and then they walked away. Uh, and if you look at the companies that he does have big shareholdings in, they're either insurance companies or they're companies that uh, have a, a strong brand. In the retail space, and some of them, some of the brands aren't known in Australia, like Seas Candy, but but they're pretty strong in the US. Mm. And I, I guess there's a third leg to his circle of competence. He's now investing heavily in infrastructure. So he, a large part of Berkshire Hathaway, now owns railroads, railroads, sorry, and also owns uh, energy companies, which is, I guess, partly why he's feeling comfortable lending money to Occidental, um, which is an oil company. Uh, and, but he views his circle of competence in those energy companies, in particular in the ones that he already owns, as being the, he can add value because of the Berkshire Hathaway name, because a lot of energy companies, particularly power companies, are regulated by their either state governments or federal governments. And they tend to view Berkshire Hathaway as an owner as being a good operator and someone who cares about not tarnishing their brand and therefore will do the right thing by their consumers. 
And so he sees that as, his, uh, as being within his circle of competence as well. Anything else you want to touch on before we get into the uh, nitty-gritties? Yeah, one last thing is to say that I think three of the major banks, possibly four of them in the last little while anyway, three in the last week have uh, produced results. I have had a look at them quickly, ran the QAV checklist across one of them, and uh, it's coming out very poorly at the moment in terms of scores. And that's not unexpected because the banks are doing it tough, both from the point of view of having to pay large hundreds of millions of dollars back to customers for, for poor financial advice in the past. And secondly, because the property market is in decline, in Australia at least, and that's uh, crimping their uh, their incomes. And so their reports haven't been very strong at all this last season. Uh, and it's I just raise it because banks are a large part of the ASX in terms of market cap. I think there's at least two in the top 10 and probably all four in the top 20 in terms of uh, companies by market cap. So they're very important. I would think most people who have a superannu- superannuation or run their own superannuation fund would have shares in banks by default because they're a part of the index fund. So someone like Steve Samatino will be a, will have a large part of his capital tied up in banks um, by virtue of the fact that he's bought the index. And they're not doing it very, very well at the moment. So... You know, I guess the opportunity is for us to continue to watch them and when they bottom out to buy in, but also to steer clear of them for the moment, in, in, at least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, they're good companies, but um, they're, they're facing lots of headwinds at the moment. Yeah, okay, good to know. And I just wanted to thank all of the people that subscribed to our show in the last week. Uh, for those of you who aren't brand new, you'll know that last week we started our premium subscription service. Uh, so for people who really want to get into the nitty gritties of the financials with us every week, that's the show for them. And uh, particularly want to thank our very first subscriber, who was uh, Hamish from Christchurch. So thank you, Hamish, for your support. Thank you to everyone else who uh, jumped in with their support uh, for the show. It's going to be a fun ride, uh, and I'm lo- I'm looking forward to it. Good, yeah, so, hi, Hamish. Thanks, thanks for being our first listener, and uh, welcome aboard. Yes. Uh, didn't you used to live in New Zealand? Where did you live when you were over there? In Wellington. Wellington. Is that far from Christchurch? Uh, yeah, about an hour's flight. Which one? Which 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 is the one that gets the earthquakes? The Christchurch. Well, well, Wellington's meant to, but Christchurch had the bad one about three or four years ago. Oh mm. no, more than that. Mm. Maybe six or seven years ago. Yeah. Mm. And of course, they had the mass shooting just recently, which was which was a terrible thing. Hmm. A couple of blows. Yeah, but it's a very pretty town, lovely place, Christchurch. I really liked it, really enjoyed going there. It's kind of, it's what's the biggest uh, city on the South Island, and the South Island's very, very pretty. Mm. So if anyone ever wants to go to New Zealand, make sure you, well, make sure you hire an Apollo Tourism Leisure RV van <laughs> and go for, a, go for a drive around the South Island. It's really good. Yeah, Chrissy and I keep talking about going over there, man, and just doing doing some hiking. But just, just I don't know. Right, never, yeah, never. Yeah, the Milfords. I never did the Milford soundtrack, but everyone kept raving about it. All right. Well, the company that we're going to look at uh, this week for our premium subscribers, uh, you picked this one. Uh, MSV is their share code on the stock exchange. Mitchell Services. I. Did uh, did my research on them. Interesting company. They're mining. Uh, this is what their website says. Mitchell Services 
is a leading provider of drilling services to the global exploration, mining and energy industries. These services extend across three key drilling divisions, exploration, mine services and underground. Mitchell's proud history dates back to 1969. Since inception, we have built a reputation for delivering safe, efficient and proactive drilling services in over 12 countries. Our state-of-the-art fleet is currently positioned in key exploration and mining centres throughout Australia, including Queensland, New South Wales, South Australia and Western Australia. From these regions, we can mobilise to all corners of Australia as well as internationally. And they're based here in Queensland. So uh, why did you choose MSV to look at this week, Tony? Yeah, so we spoke about the the way I find leads in terms of uh, new companies to investigate. I hadn't investigated Mitchell Services until last week, It's it, but they have uh, just cropped up on the Australian Financial Review 52-week high list, which gets printed in the paper every week, and they were making a new 52-week high, and that's something which I look for, and that led me to do some analysis on them. Okay. I think also, I think also too, uh, we should mention, uh, again, we're not recommending stocks on this podcast, and some of our listeners, not all of them, but some of them will also have a desire to invest in uh, ethical companies, irregardless of what their definition is of ethical, ethical. So we should, at the outset, say that a company like Mitchell Services is inherently involved in the mining industry, and I think from memory they also do drilling for coal seam gas companies as well as coal companies. So MSV, you might want to do some investigation further if you uh, are into ethical investing. Yeah, we should do a, an episode on how to approach that at some point. Sure. Okay, so given that we found them and we started to investigate them, do you want to go through the checklist? Yeah, well, I guess I'll just say at this juncture that uh, this is where the free podcast uh, uh, episode ends. Um, we're going to get into the really uh, nitty-gritty stuff now going through the checklist. That's for premium subscribers. If you're listening to the free feed and you want to listen to the premium feed, just go up to qavpodcast.com.au, click on the register button, and uh, you can sign up for the premium feed. We'll also be sending out a weekly newsletter with some of the stuff that we talked about on the podcast. And a couple of times a year, uh, when Tony's in town, up and down the East Coast, we'll probably do little events for our premium subscribers, maybe some drinks, maybe some dinner, chance to catch up and have a chat. So that's the plan for the QAV club, as I'm calling it. I hope that's okay with you. I didn't ask you if you're okay to have dinner with subscribers, Tony, but I just dumped you of in course. it. Of course. No, of course. <laughs> I know That'd you like great. a dinner and a drink, so I figure, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't be too hard to twist your arm for that. No, true. Uh, okay, so getting into this, now, uh, my uh, free 14-day trial of Stock Doctor expired. Oh, no. Uh, I did expect them to reach out to me on the basis of this podcast and say, hey, listen, we'll give you a, we'll give you a uh, VIP account. They didn't. Yet, but I so it was good though because I had to go back and try and find these numbers using some of the other methods using Reuters and Yahoo Finance that we had discussed uh, several weeks ago. But it's it was it was tricky. It was a little bit hard. So um, I'm interested to compare my numbers to your numbers and uh, see how how much they compare. Speaking of numbers, I just want to issue a correction for our last episode when we were doing the financials on Meyer Holdings. 
Our very first subscriber, Hamish, emailed us yesterday and uh, pointed out that around about the 20-minute mark where we were doing the price per share to cash per share ratio, we came up with a figure of about 2.65 when uh, it should have been around about 5, I think 4.89. He said, how did you come up with that? We looked at the we looked at our spreadsheets and went, no idea, and it's probably wrong. I think I actually, uh, in retrospect, pulled that out of Stock Doctor, and it may have been some old data, and it didn't map to the data, the rest of the data we were using in the checklist. Tony confirmed it at the time, but I, I, I think he was looking at the wrong figure as well, the wrong column. Uh, fortunately, when you get through to the part of the checklist where you create a score based on that particular figure, it wouldn't have made any difference to how Maya turned out in the end. Uh, which, by the way, was a was a positive. If you uh, didn't flow it through, we ended up giving it a, a, a positive rating. Um, so anyway, just wanted to issue that correction. I, I'll uh, by the if you go back and download that episode now, I'll have uh, uh, fixed it. I'll go in and do a little bit of clever post production editing to fix that, so we don't confuse people. Just in case you've already listened to it and you were like, "Hey, where did that number come from?" Uh, you can thank Hamish, and uh, we are human. We will make mistakes, uh, but if you point them out to us, we will also correct them at the soonest opportunity. So anyway, back to MSV, Mitchell Services. Sure. It's, I mean, it's a small company. Its market cap is currently $116 million. and given its share prices probably doubled in the last, what, last year, last two years, it, you know, some of the reports you're looking at are for a company worth about 50 or 60 million dollars. So you're not going to find a whole heap of information generally available for them. Right. Well, I did go up to also they got their annual report and tried to interpret it as best I could. So let's compare some numbers. So yeah. the first uh, data item that I have on my list is net cash flow. I have negative 1.274318 million. Yeah, that's the full year June 18 annual result number. The half year number for December is 16.32551 million. Right. So you are using the most recent numbers then? Yeah. Okay, so... Half year, half year numbers. And that's the reason for that I would think for the big rise in the share price that it's gone from having negative cash flow to 16 million cash flow in uh. six months. So you you annualise that then using the last half of the last annual report? Oh, yeah, that 16 million number is an annualised number. Oh, okay. So give me that full number again, 16. 16.32551. All right. Well, I will put that in my spreadsheet. That's going to make a huge difference to my numbers, I yeah. assume. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Now, I could have got that even without Stock Doctor, right? I could have probably got that off their website, their half-year. They, they would have to put out a half-yearly report, right? They would, yeah. I, I mean, I haven't gone through and checked it, but it should have their cash flow for the half and then go back to the annual report and get the second half cash flow and yeah. the two together, yeah. Well, I've got on their financial reports, I've only got annual reports here. Oh, Okay. Ah, here we have. I did find it. it's under presentations. Uh, 
on their uh, website. Uh, investor presentations, not under financial reports. Okay. Okay, well, uh, let's move along then. Uh, the next data point I've got is the number of shares on issue. Now, this may have also changed, but I've got roughly 1.7 billion. Yes, I do too, 1738. I've got 1735. Yes, that's changed not, a little bit. It's not going to make a huge amount of difference, I imagine? No, it won't. Okay. Cash per share. Well, uh, based on these new numbers, I now come in at 0.09 cents, 0.009. Yep. And then the share price, when I was doing this last night, was uh, 0.067. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm using. Mm-hmm. Which means my next data point, share price divided by cash per share, comes in at $7.12. Yeah, so I get 7.03. Is that what you had? 7.03 is close to 7.12. Yep, okay. Okay. So uh, the next line I've got here is looking at the sentiment. The share price graph, three-point trend line, looking positive to me. It is very much so. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, dividend yield, and again, this was coming off the last annual report, I had zero. No dividends ever. Correct. Have you got something different? No? Okay. Same, yep. No dividends. And I also had a price-to-earnings ratio of zero, getting that off of Reuters and Yahoo Finance. Just let me check that one. Well, I probably put it zero because they were make they were losing money. They had zero net cash flow. Um, I may yes, assume yeah. that. You're right, but in the half when they had positive cash flow. The PE PE reporting was 6.86. It's currently 11.49. Right. I had 11.06 coming up on Reuters, and I was like, well, how how the hell can that be right? They're they're losing money by not knowing, not realizing I had to look at the half-year number that it had changed so much. Okay. So I'm going to – that's TTM trailing 12 months. Is that all right to use? Yeah. No, that's fine. Okay. But it was zero before that. Mm-hmm, correct. Okay. Um, okay, we'll do the grading of the software providers later on. Um, net equity. Now, again, my numbers might be out here because I'm getting it from the annual report. I had net equity of just over $21 million. Yeah, it's gone up. It's 33.17343 at the half. Uh, N minus one, about 21 million. N minus two, 14 and a half million. So it's growing. Yeah, but it's been growing up and down. So if I put the halves, so Stock Doctor has the six monthly equity. Uh So going back to December 15, it was 20.8. Then it dropped to 17.9. Then it rose to 18.3. Then dropped to 14.6. Then 22, then back to 21, and now it's 33. So it's up and down. But you're looking at the where it is um, half by half or annual by yes. annual? half by half. Half by half, okay. But even if I look at annual by annual, uh, June 2016, it was 17.9. June 2017 was 14.6. And then June 18 was 21.03. Yeah, now 33. So, okay, I see. So the one before the 14.6 was high. I I get you saying, yeah. Yeah, so it's not consistent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Net equity per share I now have is uh, 0.012. Okay, I've got 0.019, but that could just be 
a difference in our figures slightly, but so one two is fine. Yeah, one one cent basically. Yeah, roughly, roughly one cent, a little bit, one to two cents. Mm-hmm. So now I've got uh, price to book ratio, the share price divided by that net equity sh- per share number. I'm getting about five dollars fifty three. Yeah, I've got the. I've got the equity per share to share price as being 225% over. Okay, so let me stop the proceedings there and um, just explain that we then spent about 10 minutes working out why my figures were different to Tony's figures at this juncture. And and it, basically what it comes down to, I think, is this line in the checklist I have been mis- misunderstanding for the last month. I, I'm missing a calculation there. I don't know how we got this far without picking that up, but uh, we, we, we have. So there's an extra step in coming up with this price-to-book ratio. Uh, whereas previously I was doing the price divided by the NEPS, the net equity per share that we calculated in the previous step. The new calculation, so go up and get the new checklist off of, uh, or just this line off the checklist at least, um, off of the the website, qavpodcast.com.au. The new calculation here is the share price minus the net equity per share. You subtract the net equity per share from the share price, then divide that result again by the net equity per share. And that gives us a number, which is a a ratio, how many times the first figure, the difference basically between the price and the net equity per share, uh, the ratio between that and the net equity per share. Okay, so um, learning as we go, people. Uh, if that's confusing for you, join the club. <laughs> but we're trying to find a ratio figure here. Let me let me try it. I'll try and explain it one more time. If you're smarter than me, skip ahead 30 seconds. We're trying to find a ratio here between the book value, I guess, the net equity per share and the price. And we're doing that by finding out the difference, first of all, between the price and the net equity per share and then dividing that by the net equity per share. Anyway, I've done the calculation. I've done, I've, I've done the, the Excel cell for you. It's up in the new spreadsheet. And uh, that'll hopefully uh, help us get more accurate result when we get to the end of the checklist. Okay. Now, earnings per share. Now, my annual report numbers are going to be off here, obviously, as well. So Reuters, I, I already had noted here, Reuters said uh, $288 million trailing 12 months. Um, what are you showing there? So you've got the earnings there rather than earnings per share. I've got ah, earnings, right. earnings yep. per share of 0.58, which would be cents. So, so the earnings is net cash flow or actual income? Uh, actual income. It's the net income per share. Uh, okay. First half 2019, revenue of $63.29 million. Oh, where'd you get that number from? Their half yearly report. Uh, what? What? Sorry. What's the? What? What is that? Is that EBIT or is that MPAT? Rev- revenue. It says first year. Oh, revenue. Sorry. Yep, that's revenue. Okay. Yep. Is that that we're using f- your net income? No, revenue is just sales. Yeah. We so need... you want net income here? Right? Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to look through their report and see what they're giving us. It's either going to be oh, EBIT flow. or MPAT. They've got EBITDA, which is 14.2 for the first half, 
Yeah, I think that would be the number they're going to use probably. Let me just check that against Stock Doctor. Yeah, it's different to Stock Doctor, but that's okay. I'm getting I'm getting 10.5 as net profit after tax. That's the number that we need. So I don't know. It's in Stock Doctor as net profit after tax. I can't see it in the half-year reports. Yeah, this EBITDA net on uh, page 12, cash flow summary, it's got income tax paid, mm-hmm. but no other taxes maybe. Oh, you're at the P&L, are you? Profit and okay, losses, so page 10. Yeah, page 10, yeah, that's what we want. And they've got a, yeah, see the MPAT number there? That's the one, that's the one that the earnings per share is based on. So net profit after tax is 11.728. Right. And if we divide that by the number of shares, which was 1.7 billion, then that ties back to the stock doctor number of 0.58 earnings per share. So it reconciles. Does that make sense? Yep, let me just do my... Mm-hmm. Okay, earnings per share, that divided by that. 0.1? What have you got? Oh, no, it's about half a cent. It's, uh, I've got... Oh, hold on, I have to add some uh, zeros. 0.58. Yeah, so 0.68 I've got. So it should be 10.5 NPAT. No, oh, NPAT's so 11, no, 11.7 oh, okay. on Hang the on, that's half different. yearly. Okay, well, that's different to Stock Doctor, so I'm not sure what that difference is. It's probably not going to make a huge difference, though, right? No, it won't. No. Okay. And that could, okay. Yeah, not sure what the difference is. Okay. Um, so earnings per share, roughly 0.005006, half a cent. Yep. 0.06, something like that. So return on equity, then, is earnings... Divided by equity, mm-hmm. I've got uh, 0.557. I've got 30.39%. <laughs> Percent? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so another change to the worksheet there, folks. Uh, down, I think, around about uh, row number 40. Changing return on an equity return on equity to a percentage calculation actually hasn't changed, and I was using figures from um, where I had different earnings earlier in the spreadsheet. But uh, anyway, yeah, change that to a percentage. So again, when you're updating your worksheet, make sure you probably just grab the whole thing or at least pay attention to the return on equity row. Okay. So it's, it's the earnings per share divided by the equity. I've got 35%. It'll do. Yep. Uh, future earnings per share. Reuters are saying 70 cents. Well, really, I don't have one in Stock Doctor. They haven't uh, included a projection. Sorry. So another uh, post-production note here. We then ha- ha- got confused for quite a while um, about this figure in Reuters whether it was 70 cents or 0.7 of a cent or 7 cents (laughs) because Reuters didn't really uh, give us, didn't really explain what fraction of the currency we were looking at here. So we, we sort of shook our heads and scratched our heads for a while we ended up deciding that it was 0.7 
of a cent. So 0.007 dollars, which sort of maps fairly closely to uh, what um, the current earnings per share is. The current earnings per share is 0.0068, and that meant that uh, the forecast was a little bit above that. Tony and rightfully figured that going from point zero zero going from point zero zero six eight cents to seventy cents was a huge forecast increase. So that's uh, how we figured Reuters was probably writing it. Not obvious if you look at Reuters though. It just says zero point seven zero, which looks like seventy cents, but with point seven of a cent, not point seven of a dollar. I think if it was if it was seventy cents, that just looks unrealistic to me. And they're expecting to have massive growth. <laughs> yeah. And they're not a Ten they're pounds. not a mining company. They sell mining services, so they're it's not like oh they've just hit the jackpot and discovered a new gold mine and they're going to make ten billion dollars next year. That's right. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the good things about a company like this is that the old adage of selling picks and shovels in a gold rush is the way to make money. It's what what they're doing. They're not going to be worried about who finds what where. They're just going to sell them some drilling services. Mm. Yeah, I think that's 0.7 cents per share. Okay, well you're the uh, you're the expert. 0.007 dollars. Yes, that's right. Which means the intrinsic value number two is zero point zero nine versus mm-hmm. intrinsic value number one is zero point zero three. Yeah. So, is it a star stock on stock, Doctor Tony? No. Is it an A one B two on share analysis? No. Is the share price beneath the stock, Doctor intrinsic value? Uh, we don't have one. Okay, well... I always give that a score of zero out of zero. <laughs> a score of zero, and, but, and, but there's no potential for it to score anything but zero because we don't have a score. Is it below my intrinsic value if I use a 19.5% hurdle rate? Well, my intrinsic value, number one, came out at $0.03. Cents. Mm-hmm. It's currently trading at $0.06, cents, 6 to $0.07. Cents. Mm-hmm. So no. So... So it gets a zero there. Yep. Is the share price below the forecast intrinsic value number two? Uh, Yes, it is. Yeah. So we'll give it a one or a two for that. Just a one? Just a one, yep. Okay. Is the share price less than 30% above the net equity per share? I have the net equity per share at one cent and the share price at seven cents. Mm-hmm. So, um, no. No, it's, it's massive. It's seven times the uh, 700% bigger. Mm-hmm. Does the share price have a positive trend? A positive gets a two, and yes, it does. Yes. Is it the lowest PE in three years? Uh, well, I have to change this because I said yes because I had zero PE, but now it's no. It's got the first the first PE it's ever had. Yeah. So again, it's a score of zero, but out of a potential score of zero, so zero zero. Really? Yeah. Well, you've got to have five or six PEs before you can you know get a trend. Uh, okay. The fact that they never paid one before and they're now paying one before doesn't give them a point. 
no. Okay. Growth of earnings per share as a percentage over PE as a number. So my EPS is right. It's point well, right based on my numbers. Point zero zero six seven. Future mm-hmm. EPS is point zero zero seven. The growth is point zero 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 two four. So that as a percentage is four percent. Okay, and the difference is, as you say, I had point zero zero five eight as the current EPS from Stock right. Doctor. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now I need to. Uh, now I want to divide. That by the PE mm-hmm. gives me 0.003. You've probably got a different number, but either way, it's not higher than 1.5. Yeah, my number is, but I'm happy to use yours. What? Yeah, I get 1.8 because I had really? 20. Well, I had 21% as the growth. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then putting that wow. over 11 as a PE, you're getting up around 20. Yeah. So the difference between you've got an NPAT of 10.5 mil, I've got an NPAT of 11.7, that amount of difference changes that number that highly. Yeah, that's right. It changes the growth number highly, yeah. It's a million dollars. Yeah. Wow. But we're talking small numbers with this company. Yeah. Mm. You know, if we don't have Stock Doctor and we're using Mm. numbers based on their half yearly report, Mm -hmm. we're getting a different result. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think you should go with your numbers because they're the ones which are generally available. And I haven't reconciled Stock Doctor back to that presentation back. And when I had a look just before, I couldn't. So chances are there's... Because behind these presentation packs, there'll be all the financial P&Ls, et cetera. So I'm guessing there'll be something... That million dollars will be an abnormal or something like that, which they haven't called out in their presentation pack. Well, let's, let's uh, drill down and see what we get here uh, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. See, see if your result differs from, differs from mine. So I want to do, the next one I have is, does the company have consistently increasing equity? I know that we said before, though, that... It did not. It didn't. Mm. Well, so we'll give it a zero for that. Is the PE less than the yield? Let me find my PE here. Well, there's no Um, no yield, so zero. Still no yield, so zero. Mm -hmm. Is the dividend yield higher than the mortgage rate? Well, zero is not Mm going to be higher, so zero. Is the financial health from the subscription services stable or increasing, Tony? So it's increasing in Stock Doctor. It's going from what they call marginal to strong. You're going to give that a one or a two? A two. If it was right. consistent, I'd give it a one, but it's going up, so I'm giving it a two. Is my forecast intrinsic value more than two times the current share price? Um, no. No. Correct. We said Eight. forecast was nine and current is in the sixes. Yeah, six to seven. Mm. Uh, it's not one of the top ten ASX stocks, so we're going to just nullify that one, zero yep. out of zero? Yep, that's right. Is the price per share divided by the cash per share less to or equal less than or equal to six? I've got uh, seven point one two. Yep, so have I. So it's a zero. It's a zero. Now, is the CEO and owner founder? No, but the chairman is the son of the founder. I gave it a one. Uh, I give it a two. A two. Yeah. So it's an owner founder or as the, the family chairman. Chairman's fine. Yeah. Yep. Right. If, okay. If, if someone's on the board and they have a large shareholding and they've been around for a long time, that's a two. 
Last one, intrinsic value going up in the future, share analysis. Uh, we got we don't have an IV in share analysis, so it's uh, zero from zero. So we're nullifying that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've got four that we nulled, mm-hmm. which means instead of 19, I'm calculating my score on 15. Uh, some of the score, some of the score I've got is seven. Yep. Me too. And I'm gonna divide that by fifth. Gonna divide that by fifteen. I get forty-seven percent anyway as my score. Okay. I had slightly higher. I had seventy-one percent. Uh, oh. Yeah, but I've got I've got a score for the growth yeah, over growth PE. Thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you have more items in your checklist than I do. Yeah. Okay. But. I think I think we worked out that it should net out that stuff, but I think you you gave that one a two when I gave it a zero. Yeah. So I get forty seven percent. We want it to be higher than seventy five percent. So it's not. And then if I take the checklist score, divide it by price to cash flow, I'm getting point zero seven, mm-hmm. um, which is um, not greater than zero point one. Mm-hmm. So it's not hitting my checklist uh, did it come out okay in yours in the end yeah it comes out at point one on mine but i didn't have if i back out that future eps which i didn't have when i did my checklist originally last week i also got 0.07 and the reason why i wanted to do this one was because if we had have gotten onto the share price earlier we would have gotten up to point one so the things which have knocked us down are you know the comparing the share price to the IVs, for example. Um, so the share price has gotten away from us quickly. Given that it has, and it's 0.07, it's still worth being on our watch list. And if the share price retreats, I'd want to look at it again. Right, okay. Mm. All right, so uh, we should put that in as the, on the watch list. Yeah. Waiting for share price to fall. Or alternatively, when we get the next lot of numbers, we can... Have a look at it again. Or next results. Yeah. Okay. I'll add that to my our little dummy portfolio, mm-hmm. um, a, sort of a watch list section so we can just like, quickly have a look at where the price is at. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks, mate. Good one. Yeah, no, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that. And uh, let me know what you're doing next week. Yeah. Um, just for, for our subscribers to know, next week uh, I'm supposed to – I might be on jury duty for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> can, uh, you, can you imagine being on a, like a history teacher who's up on a murder rap? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be point of order, yeah. Your Honour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, uh, you just said that Alexander the Great died in 325 BCE. It was actually 323 BCE, and we know that because in Arian, uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, so we will still do a show. It, it may be a day or two later than normal, depending on whether or not I get impaneled. So that's yeah. uh, that's full disclosure. But we will we will be back next week. Uh, trust us on that. And uh, thanks for subscribing and thanks for listening. Yep. Thanks for your input, Tony. Thank you, Cam. And good luck with your jury duty. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right, cheers. And just to wrap up, just to remind you, don't take anything you hear on this podcast as financial advice. If you need financial advice, if you're thinking about investing, please go see a licensed financial advisor. Neither Tony nor I are financial advisors. The show is really just about financial literacy and education, learning how a millionaire successful investor like Tony thinks about 
the process of investing, what he looks for. It's This is education, not advice. Even with the dummy portfolio, you know, we're keeping track of that just so we can see how, how following the methodology works. Uh, but you shouldn't be taking that as a as a uh, list of stocks to invest in. You know, you should be doing your own research and your own work or getting some advice. Please do that. Uh, if you want to listen to any other podcasts, go check out the thepodcastnetwork.com. If you want to contact Tony and myself, you can find our contact details on the website, qavpodcast.com.au. Love to, love to hear from you. Love to hear what you think about the show. Love to uh, get suggestions from you of uh, how we can make it more useful, more engaging, and be nice to each other. We'll talk to you next time.